following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 4. This morning we're going to look at verses 16 through 22, and that's on page 859 in the Pew Bibles. Um, As I said last week, uh, Luke uh, jumps over almost all the events of the first four chapters of the Gospel of John uh, in his Gospel account. But here in our text for this morning, he records Jesus' first sermon. Um, In fact, his only sermon in his hometown of Nazareth. And there's a lot for us to learn from, uh, from Jesus' first sermon about who he is and what he was sent to do. Um, and as well as how he continues to do it and be it, and how we should go about doing it as well. So let's look at our text, and then we'll ask the Lord to guide us in it. Luke 4, starting at verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, And he stood up to read. And the scroll scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Let's pray together. Father God, again, we are so grateful for your word. We're so thankful that you have given us what we need to know about who you are and what you have done, how much you love us, and what you require of us. Lord, we pray that you would guide us in truth this morning. I pray that your spirit would speak, that you would be glorified, and we would be encouraged and even challenged. We love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just like last week, there are some, uh, some quick hit facts, some things on the surface for us to learn from uh, about, uh, learn from Jesus right on the surface of this text. Uh, and not the least of which is found right there in verse 16, where it says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So why did Jesus go to the synagogue on the Sabbath? Because he always did. It was his custom. He wasn't compelled to go. His mom didn't drag him there. (laughs) Right? He wasn't driven by the Holy Spirit or anything like that. At least that's not what's recorded. 
Jesus went to church because that's what Jesus did. There's something to be learned from that, right? Alistair Begg called this a fixed point in his life. Like everything else, I mean, there's adjustments to be made and things like that, and things change and, you know, stuff comes up. But this is a fixed point. Going to synagogue was part of his regular routine all of his life. And there's something to be learned from his example of regularly gathering with the people of God for corporate family worship. Watching online is great. And listening to recorded sermons is, is great. If, if you don't have any other option. That's why we're still live streaming. There are lots of people that don't have any option uh, or, or live away and, and want to join us anyway, and that's fantastic. This is, uh, I say these things in no way to compel anyone to do anything out of guilt. It's just that you're bad if you don't come. <laughs> don't worry, you're bad if you do come. That's what the Bible says. That's why God's grace is so amazing. So, uh, watching online is great, but it is certainly no replacement for gathering with the people of God, uh, for worship and teaching and fellowship and prayer together as a family. That's God's design for us, and it's the example given to us by Jesus for us to follow. And I don't want to spare your feelings anymore. You can't call yourself a follower of Jesus if you don't do the things that Jesus did. Can you? You can't. Okay? So, the second idea, just on the surface, was the makeup of Jesus' sermon. Uh, And I can see four things, not three. You're welcome. Only four things that I see. Number one, it was grounded in the Word of God, in the Scriptures. It was, number two, it was applicable to its hearers. Number three, it was short. And number four, it nearly got him thrown off a cliff. You have to keep reading the passage uh, to get the cliff part, but we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. That's a lot. There's a lot to learn about preaching right there. Um, In truth, the scholars believe that Jesus actually said a lot more. But Jesus, um, but Luke only recorded uh, this brief introduction. Says he began to say, um, and then just a short thing. Um, we got either way. We got what we needed. Right? The Holy Spirit was in control of what was written, and that's what was given to us. So that's what uh, what we need. Um, and secondly, Jesus' sermon demanded a response. This is a mark of good preaching. Um, And I admit I fail at that. There are a lot of times where um, I don't feel the Holy Spirit can do all kinds of word, all kinds of work in between here and you. Right. And I I don't have any control over that. Um, But Jesus sermon demanded a response and a sermon that doesn't demand a response. You might as well just read the phone book. Because it, it's it, it, who cares? So some people marveled at his gracious words, and other people wanted to kill him, as we'll see later on in this chapter. 
And that's what pre- good preaching should always do. Uh, it should demand a response. I, I, I'm not saying that a good sermon is going to make you want to throw me out the window, uh, but it, it should have an effect, right? Whether people are encouraged or convicted or even offended. Um, the worst thing that a sermon can do is leave people confused or indifferent. Like, hmm, went to church again, ho-hum. That's, that's not how the word of God should work. Um, and I'm still working on that, to be honest with you. And one of the things that uh, Pastor Josh Tate said in the uh, sermon at camp meeting last night, uh, he just had some comments about when you read the Bible. When you read the Bible, if you feel like you're kind of forced to do it because this is, you know, this is what I'm supposed to do, but it's just, it's boring. Uh, I don't understand. I don't really want to do this. I've got other things to do. Um, and I say, I say I, because that's me. Um, you know, maybe you identify with that. I don't know. But he said, uh, if that's what your Bible reading is like, you may want to take a look at what your relationship with the Lord is like, because it's probably exactly the same. And if Jesus is just kind of ho-hum to you, I think we need to pray for help to ask him to reveal his glory to us. So our appreciation for him goes way beyond just checking boxes. Uh, You know, I got my Bible reading in today. And rather than hungering for more of God's presence and more of his glory in our life. So, all right. So um, let's look briefly at the content of Jesus' super short sermon, because this, this sermon is obviously already longer than his. Verse 16, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I, uh, I can't even imagine sitting there in that room and hearing Jesus say that. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's amazing to me. How blessed those people were and still ended up wanting to throw them off a cliff. But how blessed they were to see that scripture fulfilled in their presence at that moment. That's just, that's just amazing to me. Jesus was handed the, roll, the scroll of Isaiah the prophet, and he read from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, if you want to look that up. You'll see that there's, uh, if you're reading the ESV, the English Standard Version that I uh, use, uh, it will be very similar uh, between this quotation and the actual text of Isaiah 61. Um, some other translations are a little bit different because uh, Jesus is quoting from what's called the Septuagint which is the Greek 
version of the Hebrew Old Testament. So the wording is a little bit different. It's just a translation, so I don't get too fired up about it. Um, so he reads from Isaiah 61. What's amazing is what Isaiah wrote was prophecy, right? This 700 years before Jesus was born. What Isaiah wrote was prophecy. Jesus read as history. Think about that, right? Isaiah said it would happen. This is going to happen someday. And Jesus said, this is happening now. That's, that's amazing. Isaiah was describing the person and work of Messiah. And Jesus, in his very short sermon, said, I am he. I am Messiah. That's what Jesus is declaring by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the work of Messiah. This, um, yeah. So, I, I think that, and again, this is maybe just me, um, but we often get stuck on Jesus' work on the cross uh, when he paid the price for our redemption, right? For our forgiveness. He, he, he poured out his own blood that our sins could be washed away, that the penalty for our sin uh, would be upon his shoulders. And it's the most important event event in all of history, right? So uh, I'm not downplaying that at all. However, the work of Jesus on the cross was not his only work. And I think that's important for us to remember as well. What was it that Isaiah said was the work of Messiah? He didn't say anything about the cross, right? But Jesus said this, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what did he say? was the work of Messiah, at least this piece of it, to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So in Greek, the word to proclaim um, is where we get our English word evangelize. Evangelio. There, write that down. Right? Impress your friends. It's to evangelize, to proclaim good news. But who was it that Jesus was to evangelize? To whom was he to proclaim good news? To the poor, the captives, and the blind, and the oppressed. Well, so who's that? Who are the poor? Who are the blind? Who are the oppressed? Who are the captives? Well, the short answer is everybody. Everybody. The problem is our definition of those words is probably askew. Because you're not poor. You live in America. Okay? Two-thirds of the world doesn't have it as good as you. Okay? Um, most of you, vision might be a little foggy, but you're not blind. Again, you live in America. You are not oppressed. You are free. You are not captives. But you are poor, blind, oppressed captives. We are. So there's got to be more to it. 
J.P. Lang called this group the whole suffering mass of mankind. It is absolutely everybody. Martin Luther wrote, Christ finds all those to whom he comes blind, without the knowledge of God, bound to Satan, and kept prisoners under death, sin, and the law. For out of the gospel there is nothing but utter darkness and captivity, so that even if we have some little knowledge, yet we cannot follow the same because we are bound. The poor, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed are all those who need the freedom of the gospel. This is us. Everybody apart from Christ fits in this category, no matter how wise or rich or enlightened or educated they might be according to the world's standards. Because the world's standard, I don't know if you know this, the world's standard is total garbage. What matters is God's standard. How we feel about God's standard doesn't matter a bit. How you feel about things doesn't matter at all. See, this is the throw me off the cliff part I've been working on. How's the saying go? Ben, nobody cares. Get back to work. (laughs) Sorry. I'm not sorry. Throw me off a cliff. Whatever. All right. Everybody apart from Christ fits into the category of poor, blind, captive, oppressed. This once was us. But by accepting the good news, accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ, accepting his sacrifice for what was for us, being filled with the Holy Spirit through faith in him, we are set free. We are given sight. We're no longer bound. The truly poor are the spiritually poor, without help and without hope. You know them. You know them. You live next door to them. You work with them. You see them in town. You see them in the store. Without help. Without hope. Because there's only two kinds of people in the world. And they're they're those who accept Jesus and those who reject him. When judgment day comes, there's only going to be two lines. Those who accepted Jesus as Savior and those who reject him. There's no middle ground. Those who hear the good news, who are humbled by it, and truly sorrowful for sin, will truly be made rich in Christ. Not monetarily, but spiritually. Right? That's what we want. Riches in Christ. Spiritual riches. Get all the money in the world, you can still be bound for destruction. The meat of Christ's message was liberty to the captives. Those who were bound by guilt and shame and pride and corruption and legalism and traditions. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Submit again? Who's Paul writing to in Galatians? He's writing to religious people. He's writing to Jewish people who all they knew was traditions and religion and legalism and following the law of Moses. But Christ set them free from all of that, just as he set us free from all of that. 
If all we have is our empty religious practices to keep us feeling like we're okay with God, we are sorely mistaken. We have been set free from that stuff. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's slavery to empty religious practices and the law and, and you've got to do all the right things and stand, you've got to dress the right way and you've got to sing the right songs and you've got to go on the right day and you've got to... Those are the voices that say, I cannot believe you are wearing a t-shirt to church and shorts, you... You're beyond a sinner. That is not what, that's not what Jesus died for, for us to live under anymore. That's slavery. Empty religious practices. Liberty to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. Although, though Jesus did heal the physically blind, he went far beyond that. By granting sight to the spiritually blind. And he's still doing that work today. Shining light on those unregenerate souls lost in spiritual darkness. Being physically blind is terrible. Being spiritually blind is far worse. John 1, 4-5 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Spiritual darkness is what Jesus came to cast out, to give sight to the blind. Maybe their eyes work, but surrounded in darkness, you can't tell. If you walk into a room that has no light, you can't even tell if your eyes are open or not. Right? That's the beauty of camp. They shut the lights off, and it's dark there. It's awesome. Preaching was the first work of the Lord to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. That's part one. And I already said the work of the cross is that's to set at liberty those who are oppressed, not proclaim liberty to those who are oppressed, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, not just to preach freedom, but to provide freedom. Those who are oppressed, again, is everybody apart from Christ. Everybody. They are oppressed by spiritual bondage and spiritual debt. Jesus' last word on the cross, it is finished, right? In Aramaic, it's tetelestai, which doesn't mean it is finished. It means the debt is paid. The debt is paid. The debt we owe to God because of our sin is paid for. Ellis Crum wrote a song back in the 70s. Some of you might know it. I don't know. The 70s, you remember? Ben wasn't there. He wrote... He paid a debt he did not owe. I paid a debt. I uh, sorry. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. 
And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. The good news to the poor is that Jesus paid the price to make us rich. To the captives, he took the burden of our sin and shame upon himself. He took our debt upon himself. To the blind, he can open our eyes by the power of the Holy Spirit. He has set us free from sin and its eternal consequences by his death on the cross if we trust in him. If we trust in him. This was the work that Jesus was given to do. But it is also the work we have been given to do. We should follow his example by knowing the word of God. Jesus opened the scroll of Isaiah and rolled it to chapter 61. Just because he's Jesus, right? Because nobody could possibly know where to look to find that scripture, right? I mean, only God could actually know the Bible that well. (laughs) No. Going to synagogue was his custom. Reading God's word was his custom. Knowing God's word was his custom. We cannot forget that though Jesus is fully God, he is fully man. Right? We can know God's word like that too. We have to take the instruction given to St. Augustine by the Lord. Take up and read. Take up and read God's word. We're so fortunate to live in a place where you can own as many copies of the Bible as you want. In my pocket, there's like 50,000 translations of scripture all available on my phone, and all I have to do is get off Facebook and take up and read, right? Here comes the cliff again. We can follow Jesus' example by knowing the word of God and preaching the truth, sharing the good news to the spiritually poor, blind and captive around us. You know them. You love them. Do you love them enough to risk sharing the good news with them? What are you really risking anyway? This is the work that Jesus gave us to do. He said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. What are you risking by preaching the gospel to your loved ones? They could throw you off a cliff. They absolutely could throw you off a cliff. And what do you gain? (laughs) You get to sit down with God in his eternal kingdom, no matter how long this life lasts. And you get to wear a martyr's crown. That's pretty cool. We all want to see miracles, right? All want to see miracles. We we want to see, well, maybe don't want to see buildings uh, with trees fall on them 
but how amazing is it to see that, that Sean and Brian and those other kids survived? We all want to see miracles. Maybe it's just lower gas prices is all we want to see. It's a miracle. Just like the crowd at the synagogue that day, they wanted to see a miracle also. And you'll have to read ahead a little bit to get, to get that. But there is truly no greater miracle ever, ever, ever than a life made new by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I went to camp a lot of years as a kid. And it seemed like every Thursday there was a campfire. It was always Thursday because by Thursday the campers are all exhausted and their emotional barriers are totally blown apart. You start telling stories about how you came to know Jesus or what he did in your life. And a lot of times, if you've been at camp for a while, you start to kind of pump that testimony up because, you know, that you know, this guy was a drug dealer and he killed 47 people. And then he came to Jesus. Now everything's awesome. And I'm just like, I grew up in the church and my parents loved Jesus. And my Nana made me come here. That's it, right? That's my, that's like the first half of my testimony. But the truth of the matter is, if you know Jesus, here are some facts about the miracle that you are. You were dead. (laughs) And now you're alive. You were blind, and now you can see. You were a captive, and now you are free in Christ. You were oppressed, and now are set at liberty. You can't beat that. You can't beat that testimony. Ray Steadman wrote in his book, Body Life, a book I recommend to all of you. He said, the physical raising of Lazarus from the tomb was truly amazing. Yet it was nothing compared with the miracle of a sinner whose life has been completely redirected by the grace and love of God. All the bodily miracles and healings which Jesus performed were just temporary cures. Lazarus, for example, had eventually had to go through death again. But the works that Jesus did within the human heart and human soul was an eternal work, yielding blessing that went on and on without end. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, let's follow Jesus and follow his example and do the work. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your grace and your love. We're so thankful that you sent Jesus to pay a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. And now we sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, because Jesus washed our sins away.
We thank you, Lord, that because of your spirit, because of your work, we have sight. We have recovered. We've been set free. Lord, help us to proclaim that good news to the poor and the blind and the oppressed and the captives around us. We know them. Lord, may they know you. We pray even now in these very moments, your Holy Spirit would be tilling the soil of their hearts, preparing them to hear the gospel. That they too might know this freedom, this light and life and the love of Jesus that washes away our sin. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.